0: Today we're going to continue our series that is simply titled Confident. And if you have not already gotten the sermon notes, they are on our YouVersion Bible app. You can find it there under events. You can also have the paper one here or you can look at it online. If you're watching online, we've got it available there too so that you can follow along and help limit distractions as we go through God's Word today. Today we're going to be continuing in the book of Joshua. This entire series will be from the book of Joshua. But we will also be looking in Numbers as well. Numbers chapter 13 if you want to go ahead and start turning there. You know, one of many people's favorite Bible verses is Jeremiah 29, 11. How many of you know Jeremiah 29, 11, and it's one of your favorites? For I know the plans I have for you, declares Mama. Is that what it says? No, someone said, hold on now. That don't sound like that's from the Bible. You're right. It doesn't say, mama. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a hope and to give you a future. That is a promise that we like to grab hold of oftentimes. And it is something God has said and we can take it to the bank. It is rock solid. It is real We can believe it, but when things look like it's going south, we forget all about the promise and we wonder, is God even remembering me? As we look at today's scripture, I want to just ask you a question. Are you facing a circumstance or situation in your life that just seems to be impossible. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a relational issue. Maybe it's just some stuff in general. But are you facing something that absolutely seems to be utterly and completely impossible? Well, you've come to the right place. There's no other place in the entire world where we should be able to find hope like we can right here. This is the place to find hope. That is The church, the place that lifts up Jesus Christ. This is the place of hope. So today let's dive into what's going on. And let's begin in Numbers chapter 13. If you'll turn to Numbers chapter 13, I want to give you a little background of what's happening here. They have they have left Exodus, they have exited Egypt. And they have been on their journey and they have come to the place where God has said they can go into the promised land. This is the place. This is the destination. They cross over this river. They'll enter into a promised land. Now, I don't think it's by accident that there's a river that was separating them from the promised land. It wasn't by accident that they had to cross over this river to get into that which God had promised them. Because that river presented a barrier for them in a line. And God had promised them that across this river would be your nation, your place. And so we find that actually in Deuteronomy chapter 1, the people actually come to to Moses and says, Moses, let's send in some people just to find out what this is like and what it looks like and and if it's dangerous or, or what is it going to take to overcome. Moses, let's send some people in. So God said, okay, send some people in. Won't you get one person from each tribe and let them go in and check out this new land? Well, they go in, and many of you know the story of how there were 12 spies that went in representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And so these 12 men went in. They stayed for 40 days. They were there smelling it, tasting it. They saw it. They were around it. For 40 days, they were in the promised land. And so God had given them this opportunity to see what He had promised But I want us to begin reading in verse 25 of chapter 13 of the book of Numbers. Hopefully you have your Word of God with you that you can look at, that you can see, that you can touch either digitally or in paper. But I encourage you to always look in the Bible and not just listen to me read it because this will change your life. When they returned from spying out the land... At the end of forty days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit." Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Now when we begin to look at this scripture, I want to stop there for a moment because I want us to look at the impossible. When you first read through that, maybe you're not seeing clearly what's happening in in this report. They begin very positively. But as we look at the impossible, the first thing I want us to look at is this. And it's found in verse 28. The impossible is always magnified by the but. Okay, did you hear me? The impossible is always magnified by the but. Look what they said. They said something really nice that, that this land in verse 27 They told them that when we went into the land where you sent us, it does flow with milk and honey. Man, here is it is. It's fruit. It's a great place. And then you look at verse 28. Some translations actually gets this really clear here. It begins with the word, but. Do you know that the power of the word, but, cancels out everything that comes before it? So let me give you a little clue, especially to the husbands and the men and the boys who will be married one day. The word but cancels everything out you said in front of it. So if you look at your wife or your significant other and you say, I'm really sorry, but... No, you're not. Can I just tell you as your pastor, if you use the word but after the words I'm sorry, you're not really sorry. Because you're about to give us excuses as to why it happened and it wasn't your fault. Can somebody just say amen or oh me or something? Because that's true. The word but cancels everything. You know what? You are a great singer, but... You're a great bass player, but you're a great preacher, but you preach too long. You know, there's when you use the word but, it cancels out everything before. I love you, but. The word but is the beginning of the downturn of what these people are reporting. See, the impossible gets magnified when we use the word but. So I would encourage you to, to do this. Get rid of it. wad it up, throw it in the trash, don't use the word but, because it puts your mind, your heart, your communication into a place where you're taking everything that was good. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's got great, great fruit. It's a beautiful land, but. Now, here's something else that you may not recognize immediately, but (laughs) there's that word. (laughs) It just came out of nowhere. See, see, all right, here we go. How do I say this without using the word? (laughs) When we look at verse 27, we see 14 words that talk about the positive of the promised land. When you get to verse 28 and 29, there are 64 words that talk about the but. So 14 says, man, this place is great. 64 says, yeah, we're not going to be able to do anything about it. It's just too big because they use the word but. But is the beginning of doubt. But is the beginning of disobedience. Can I say that? Can I just throw that out there today? Maybe you you, you were to write that down. The word but is the beginning. It is the seed of of destroying your faith. It is the beginning of disobedience to God because this is exactly what happens here. God had told them to go in. They went in. They looked around. They were like, wow, this place is great. They came back and they said, but. Let's explore this a little little bit farther. Because we see in verses 28 and 29, the people are strong, the cities are fortified, they're very large. The descendants of Anak is there, Amalek is there, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites are all by the sea. In other words, they're saying this is just too much for us. They're planting the seed of doubt. They're planting the seed of disobedience by using the word but. They had been given a great promise They had been given the land. These men felt like they had to take the land. There is a difference. See, God had given them a promise that this land belongs to you. But they came back thinking, we're going to have to take it away from whoever is there. If God has promised you something and given you something, you don't have to go take it. It's His responsibility to fulfill the promise. Do you hear me, church? When God promises us something, we are not responsible for fulfilling that promise. He is. So yes, we may have a responsibility to work within the realms of what He's called us to do in obedience, but He's the one who's going to fulfill the promise. If God has promised you that He knows the plans He has for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you hope in the future, it's not up to you whether or not that's going to come true. That is His responsibility. So we need to stop trying to play, stop trying to play God. Now, here's the interesting thing. The unbelievers that they encountered, those who did not follow God, created a doubt in their heart simply by being around them, simply by looking upon the size, simply by listening and, and uh, observing, because there were cities, their walls were twenty five feet deep. And they were 20 feet high. And when you look at that and you're a bunch of slaves from Egypt, you probably would go, yeah, we can't do anything about that. And so they had their hearts turned. They magnified the danger and the difficulties. And it filled their hearts with fear. And it all began with the seed of but. Second thing, not only is the impossible always magnified by but, but the impossible makes the risk too great to overcome. Makes the risk too great to overcome. Read with me verses 30 through 33. Then Caleb quieted the people. Before Moses and said, We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people... Whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw that Nephilim, the sons of Anak, are part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. In other words, these ten men... Thought that they were going to have to go take it away from these great big giants, these big men. And it is thought by some theologians that these, these guys were seven, eight, nine feet tall. You want to talk about a nine, uh, an NBA player? The land was filled with, with these guys seven, eight, nine feet tall. Yes, some about, somebody's thinking, I wonder if that's where Goliath came from. Yes, it's thought that he comes from this lineage, this line. So these, these guys were big, they were strong, and it seemed like the impossible was too much to overcome. See, but the beauty of it is, A.W. Tozer said, sometimes when we get overwhelmed, we forget just how big God is. See, when we read verse 33, there also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. Who were they comparing their problem with themselves? They were seeing these these giants. They were seeing the cities. They were comparing it to their ability and to who they were. But let me ask you this question. How big were these giants and how fortified were these cities compared to God? They were nothing. See, that's why Caleb and Joshua both were like, well, by all means, we, we should just go in. Basically, God's promised it to us. Let's just go get it. But these guys were like, no, it's impossible. It's too great to overcome. It's too much of a risk. The challenge is just too great. Always remember, don't ever make your problem bigger than the cross of Christ. Because when Jesus died on the cross, He died for all of our sins. He died to give us life and that we can have it more abundantly now and in this place and in this age. Don't make our problems bigger than the work that Christ did on the cross and when He rose from the dead. Third thing. Third thing is this. We have a choice in the impossible. The impossible is not the end of the story. Ladies and gentlemen, when you are faced with something that seems impossible, that is not the closing of the book and the end of the story. We have a choice in the impossible. Look at Caleb. Now, the facts are not any different here. The facts are that these people live there. The the, the cities and the buildings are as big as they are. The facts are exactly the same, except for Caleb says this after he quiets the people in verse 30. We should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. See, he understood God had promised it and it was time to just go get it. But unfortunately, there was a democratic vote. And that vote revealed they shouldn't go in. Because they just felt like it was impossible they can't overcome it. These, the odds are stacked against us. There's no way this is going to turn out positive. Convince the entire nation of it. Now, what I want us to do now is I want us to jump over to Joshua chapter 2, if you will. Joshua chapter 2. I want you to understand the mindset when they had to step into this wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Because right after this, God said, okay, have it your way. And so all those who said, we can't go in, it's too big that... You know, we've measured this against ourselves and we just can't do it. Rather than measuring it against God, God said, okay, have it your way. And so all of those who were of fighting age would die in the wilderness. So 40 years it took. And finally we come to the book of Joshua and Moses is dead. And God tells Joshua, get ready to cross the Jordan. Joshua says, all right, tell everybody in three days we're going across." He did not hesitate. He didn't wait. But what he did do, he sent two spies this time. Two spies, guess what? It's a 50-50 split then. If one of them comes back and, and he says no and the other one says yes, it's a 50-50 split. There's not going to be this, this seed planting to mess up the whole thing. I don't know if that's why he picked two or if it was because only Joshua and Caleb, and there was just two of them that agreed to go after God. Don't know, but he picks two spies and he says, go in and spy out the land. So these two spies, they go in to the land and they come to a, a city called Jericho. Now, Jericho is a great fortified city. And to look at it, you would be in awe and wonder. You would see the great walls. You would see the great doors that were were guarding the city. You You would step back and go, we don't have the equipment. We don't have the power. We don't have the knowledge. It is absolutely impossible. But these two spies said, Let me go check it out. So they get into the city of Jericho, and when they get there, they meet somebody by the name of Rahab. Rahab lives right on the wall. Her house is built into the wall. As a matter of fact, she's got a window that she can look out from the wall and see the beautiful landscape. And so these spies come in to her. And there are some people looking because the word got out that there were some spies from the Israelites that were in the city spying them out. I want us to pick up in verse 8 because these two spies, Rahab let them go get up on the roof and hide under some flags. And when the, the soldiers came to her house and knocked on her door and said, Hey, we heard that these two spies came to your house. She said, Well, you know, last time I saw them, they were going out the gate. If you hurry up, you can catch them. And so the soldiers take off after them. And in verse 8, let's pick up here. Now, before they lay down, she came up to the roof, on the roof, and said to the men, these two spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, wait just a second. Let me give you a little bit more story here. Rahab is not an Israelite. Rahab did not grow up a Jew Rahab did not live among Jews or the Israelites. She lived in a pagan city that worshipped pagan gods and lived by pagan rules and lived a life completely contrary. As a matter of fact, Rahab is believed to be a prostitute. She was living far from God, but yet look what the first words that came out of her mouth. Someone who did not go to church, someone who was not in the nation of Israel... Someone who was not even there when God departed the Red Seas. Listen to what she says. I know that the Lord has given you the land. How does she know this? God did not speak to her. Moses, God spoke to Moses. Moses told the people, the people in Israel knew all this stuff. But yet here is someone living in the land who said the Lord has given you this land. And that impacted her actions as to what she did. Verse 9, And said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you, did you hear that? And the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land, how many? All of them, all of the inhabitants of the land, all of them of the land have melted away before you. In other words, they're scared to death of you people. Let me put that in the Delonaganese, the Clyde translation. We're scared. We are abs- everybody is scared of you people. Now, let's keep reading. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. Let me remind you of something. There's a very, very, very high probability. Rahab was not alive when that took place. Because remember, it has been at least 40 years since God dried up the land when they crossed over the Red Sea and the Egyptians were destroyed. Forty years! So Rahab is probably less than that. So how does Rahab know about this except for people have been talking about it? And here is a question that I don't know if we'll ever have an answer until we get to heaven. How did they even hear about it? Because the only people that we read about in the story are the children of Israel who were crossing the Red Sea scared to death and the Egyptians, when God just caused the Red Sea to fall right over top of them, how did they hear about this? Maybe there was a young man sitting on the side of the Red Sea that day fishing. And he looked over and he watched the whole thing take place. And he goes back and starts telling his mom and dad, You would not believe what I just saw. Who knows? Maybe that was it. Maybe that's not. Maybe. But while they're in the wilderness for 40 years, they talked about it and they read about it. And some sojourner was just wandering through and they heard about it. Because there were no survivors when it came to the Egyptians. And all we have is the Israelites. So how did they hear about it on the other side of the river? But she says... We heard about what the Lord did when He dried up. Notice, she didn't even get it wrong. She didn't even get just a, a fraction of it. She said, when He dried up the land, you crossed over on dry ground coming over. She knows more about the story than the children of Israel do. She is more in tune to what God had promised them than the Israelites who received the promise. I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that the terror of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, look at verse 11, when we heard it, when we heard it, our hearts melted. Clyde translation they were scared their courage went away they were no longer confident they were like oh no I hope they don't come this way because we've had it their hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you because of you for the Lord because of who for the Lord your God he is God in heaven Above and on earth beneath. But yet we go back to Numbers 13 and these spies go, we can't do it. Just too big. It's impossible. The odds are too great. We cannot take the land. So all you people, it's beautiful, but it's not a good idea. Yeah, I know that there's nice things, but the water bill is going to be higher on the other side of the fence. Might be greener. But the water bill is higher. So these people, they stood on their own logic and ideas of what they could physically see, what they could physically experience and laid aside what God had promised. And all alone, the hearts of the people in the promised land had been melted and they were scared to death of the Israelites. Don't you think their decision would have been different if they had just heard one person over there say, Yeah, do you hear what's been going on with those people that came out of Egypt? We're scared to death of them. Because God's fighting for them. They believed God was fighting for them more than the children of Israel believed God was fighting for them. So, here's what we can know about the possible. The possible. When it comes to taking the impossible and making it possible, here's what you need to hold on to. God is doing His great work when you do not see Him working at all. When you are stepping back and you're looking and you're going, man, this is impossible. I just don't know how this is going to play out. It's just, there's nothing I can do. Know this is a promise of God. Leave it in His hands and God is going to be doing a great work even when you don't see Him working. Uh, This entire nation did not see how God was working. The crossing of the Red Sea on dry ground, the giving of manna, all the miracles they experienced was not simply for the children of Israel's benefit at the moment, but for the future when they got into the promised land that all the people's hearts were going to be melted and they're going to be going, we ain't messing with these people. God is fighting for us when we feel like we cannot fight. God goes before us. He is, he is plowing the way. We cannot get in the way. This is a great example of how God made a promise and we as people get in the way of what He's already given to us. God had promised them the, a great land, a great place, but they decided, no, we've decided no on your promise. Where are we? Where are you? Because God is working for you. He is fighting for you. If you wait until you see God working, it will be too late to move by faith. And to please God, we must live by faith. So before you see... You know, we want God to write it in the sky, don't we? We want God to just... Just make it glaringly clear to us what we need to do. When sometimes God is going, I'm waiting for you to take a step of faith and trust me. Because if God always makes it glaringly clear, are we living by faith at all? If we have to have the assurance of what God wants us to do without taking a step of faith and trusting that, God, if I've taken the wrong step, you're going to save me and move me back to where I need to be. If I'm stepping off of a cliff, God, you better catch me because I'm about to fall. That's faith. To stand back here and say, okay, God, um, show me where the bridge is at, where it's safe, and I'll cross. That's not faith. So I challenge you today to take a step of faith and believe what God has promised you and move forward with it. You know, one of the things that we can go back in nostalgic history of 2019 that's different than 2020 is going to a restaurant. You know, we hardly hear self party of four, self party of four anymore. Because we can't go into restaurants. There's not a lot of people. We have to wait for them to call us in. But when we go into a restaurant, we sit down. There's a few places open. And, and one of the places that, that I've been visiting lately with a friend on Tuesdays is Golden Buddha here in Oakwood. I get to go in there. I go into the back and I, I sit down with my friend. And before me is a menu. And I get to look at that menu And I get to choose, what am I in the mood for today? What is good on the menu? And I look around. Some of the things I can't even pronounce, but I'm getting better. I I, I stick with chicken. You know, chicken's usually always a good bet. I have wandered over into beef when it has been recommended. But I look at this menu, and it's got good stuff on it. There's great promises on that menu that I'm going to find satisfaction and a blessing. And so I look at this menu... I do not see the kitchen. I do not see what they did all morning. But I look at that menu and I understand that there's blessings on that menu. I have to yet, I may try it this week because I had not thought about this. I have to yet to look at the waiter and say, in Golden Buddha now, Chinese restaurant and go, I'd like a chimichanga and a burrito. What do you think they're going to say to me? No. Why would they say no? Because they don't have the things in the back to prepare and to get ready what that I'm searching for. I would need to go somewhere else to find what I'm searching for where they have already prepared all the the meat and the flour tortillas. Or how about this? I may even go in there Tuesday and I I might say, I'd like a barbecue plate from Smokehouse, please. Smokehouse is going to be ready for me if I walk in there and order it. But if I'm in Golden Buddha, I'm looking at this menu and I have to trust what they have put before me is what they have prepared in the kitchen. I don't walk back there to the kitchen to look around. I don't see what, what chicken they've got or what they've cut up or what spices they've used. I haven't gone back there to look at their soups. I am completely trusting what's written on that menu that when I order it, it it's, it's going to come and it's going to be good. And you know what? Every time I've ordered, it's been good. Every time I go to Smokehouse, it's been good because they prepare it hours and hours in advance before you get there. When we go into these places, we are in the mindset that I'm going to trust what I cannot see is going to be good even though I don't know what the preparation has been back there. These people, these, these children of Israel, they looked at the menu and they said, you know what, we don't trust what's back there. God has said some things and He has put it plain as a menu you'd find in a restaurant. and He's written it down in His Word that we can hold on to. And these are the promises. He's made the preparations. He has set it in place. He has put it in, in, in fact. But yet we look at it and we go, Now, yeah, can you just give me a burrito? We have to understand, God is working for us when we can't even see Him working. They're in the kitchen preparing food when we cannot see Him preparing it. Let me tell you, God is doing the same thing. If you are in the heat of a battle, you are not on your own. If you're in the midst of a problem, the problem is not your own. If you're dealing with issues or pain or whatever, it's not just yours. God also is fighting for you see he is going before us to prepare the way but don't forget the children of Israel they turned their back and said nope we don't want that even though God had prepared we see it here in Joshua too. all the miracles was preparing them for the promised land but yet when they compared it to what they could do they said no We must be careful today, ladies and gentlemen, because we are going to live in fear. We're not going to live in confidence. We're not going to live in faith if we only look at the situations on the surface level and in our own ability and power. There's no problem too big for God, there's no sickness that He cannot heal, there's not a sinner that He cannot save. The cross of Jesus Christ and the tomb in which He rose from is bigger than any sinner. The worst thing they've ever done, it is bigger than than that. Our God is fighting for us and going before us. And we can walk in faith. See, faith is acting like it is so even when it does not seem to be so in order that it may actually be so other words, that was confusing, but it's, it's taking that step and just believing that what God has said is true and you're going to move forward with it. That's faith. So I challenge you today as we look at this, that these in, this entire nation missed out because they wouldn't believe the promise of God that He was fighting for them. That they had to do all the work. As you read the rest of the story, I'd encourage you to read the rest of chapter 2 today if you get an opportunity. You'll find that Rahab and the spies, they strike up a deal. That when they do come, and it was when they do come, not if they came, but when they did, that, that she'd just hang a scarlet ribbon in the window and they'd know not to kill anybody in her house. Whoever she brought in was going to be safe. Now, I want to remind you that her house was on the wall of Jericho because that's going to come into play later in the story. Guess who Rahab is? She is in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. Rahab was part of the lineage of David, King David. Rahab, believed the Lord was their God and that He was the God and that He was true to the promises He had made and He was going to keep them. And she found herself with great blessings simply because she believed. Not because she went with the popular opinion or the pressure of other people. She went with what she believed was true about God. So what must we do? What must I do? Well, you need to know that God is fighting for you. God is fighting for you. God is fighting for me. God is going before you. You may not see what God is doing right now. You may not even be aware of it. You may not not even have a hint of a clue of how God is preparing the way for you in your next season of life or for where you are now or how He's going to use you with what you're dealing with. But the truth of the matter is God is going before you. He is fighting for us. And the second thing is in faith. I need to obey Him now. See, that was the downfall of the children of Israel. They didn't obey Him now. They wanted everything to be just right before they had obeyed. They had conditions upon their obedience. and That is not going to be what pleases God. So know that God is fighting for you and obey and move right away. In faith, I need to obey Jesus and obey God right now so what is your biggest area of struggle is there some fear in your life is there some kind of financial struggle is there a worry is it health is it just brokenness is it relational what is the biggest area of your life where there's a problem here's what i want you to do over the next seven days here's your seven-day challenge Regardless of what your struggle is, it may be your work, it may be your family, it may be whatever. Gina, if you'll come on. Whatever that struggle, that problem is, here's what I want you to do over the next seven days. Thank God every day for fighting for you in places you do not see Him fighting. Thank Him tomorrow morning. Thank God for fighting for you in places that you don't even see Him fighting and working in places you're completely unaware. Thank Him tomorrow morning that He's doing that. And then do it on Tuesday morning. Say that same prayer on Wednesday, on Thursday, on Friday, on Saturday. Pray and thank God. You can make it short. God, thank You for how You're fighting for me in places I cannot see. And You're working in ways that I do not know. Do that every day this week. Because I can promise you this. According to His Word, it's exactly what God is doing for each and every one of you. He is fighting for you. He's going before you. We must stand with confidence and believe that. You bow your heads with me just for a moment. Lord, we thank You that You are fighting for us. That You are fighting in places we're not even aware that there needs to be a fight. You're working in places that we don't even know that you're working. But God, I thank you that you're already there. You have already breached tomorrow where I'm just trying to make it through today. God, I must walk in faith to believe that you are the one that's going before me. Lord, I pray today that if there's anyone who has tried to live their life in their own logic, their own strength, and they've tried to fix things themselves, that this will be the very moment, this will be the time that they say, God, you do the fighting. God, you do the working. I'm sorry I've gotten in your way. Forgive me for making choices where I saw the but as making the impossible too much Lord some of my favorite scripture is whenever it lays out that we were born sinners and that we had no hope for tomorrow and the Word of God says but God that but changes everything changes everything before God you Loved us so much, you sent your son to die on a cross for us. To live a perfect life so that we could just simply say, God, forgive me and take over my life. And when we do that, we have a relationship with you. Because you did the impossible. You did the work we could not do. We thank you for that right now if there's anybody who has never accepted Christ and maybe right now you feel like you need to make that decision would you just raise your hand right now whether it's online, it's in this room just make that move and raise your hand Father we pray that your spirit will wash over right now save lives and give the saved hope that God you are the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings. Father, forgive us and take over our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.